Hello and welcome to the latest episode from Tech Salescraft. Our mission is simple. We want to bring you exclusive insight from some of the brightest and most influential minds in the tech sales scene. We want this podcast to be your weekly go-to for inspiration. And if this is your first time listening to the show, please subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest releases. Al, welcome to the show and thank you very much for agreeing to uh, to take part. Um, the reason why we wanted um, someone like yourself on this show is that at the moment we're really wanting to home in on successful um, founders. It, you know, there's lots of statistics flying around there at the moment, but the, the real prominent one is that only around about 20% of businesses get from Series A to either a successful exit or Series B of funding which is which is a really scary statistics and even you know less under 10 percent get from c to series a and what i want to try and use the platform is to speak to leaders like yourself and just try and understand the journey that you've been on the mistakes that you've made particularly around the areas of building the sales team which i believe is an absolute crucial part to particularly getting from series a to the next step of of whatever it um it is it's going to be um so um, it's great to have you because obviously you co-founded um, ZigZag back in 2015. You've just had an event. Um, so you are in that small pool of, uh, of uh, tech founders that uh, have managed to get to uh, a, a great milestone in the business. So in a way of getting started, it would be great to hear who you are and kind of just walk us through from 2015 to, to where you are today. And then we can deep dive into um, the sales part after that. Sure. Uh, thanks, James. So I'm Al, uh, Al Geary. I'm the founder of ZigZag. Uh, we're a technology solution that helps retailers manage returns both domestically and globally. And so we plug into various different retailers all over the world and help them mm-hmm. bring back their returns back into their supply chain. We help refund their customers more quickly. And our mission is to help cut costs for retailers uh, and consumers uh, mm-hmm. with faster refunds to get products back in the supply chain more quickly. So the customer experience is key uh, to what we do. We create a frictionless journey, both the buyer and the seller, and we uh, increase the propensity to shop again. Uh, we make e-commerce more profitable, uh, and over time we can help reduce returns through data insights. So think of us like a, a virtual network of carriers and warehouses all over the world for consumers to return products uh, that they bought either online or in store. Interesting. Um, so you guys have been going since um, 2015, and I know that you would have learned a, a huge amount along the way. But what I really want to focus in on, because you took on the role and responsibility, um, amongst other things, of the selling the product. Um, and founder-led selling is a crucial part of any startup. At what point from when you started, I think it was in the January of 2015, was the product ready for you to go and pitch it to someone? And what made you decide that you were ready? Um, I think we had a very, very clear uh, idea of what we were building. And so when we first founded the company, we knew that there was a market. So I'd been a retailer for about 20 years. I spent a long time on the, the business plan to make sure that it was robust enough to to add up and be uh, commercially viable and to uh, make sure that that we were addressing the pain points of the customer base. Mm. 
for us, the customer tends to be either a retailer or a carrier. So we we were aiming really at both uh, medium and enterprise retailers, not so much the, the smaller retailers, but we do work with some small retailers. It was necessary to, to trial our product on um, some SMEs earlier on in that journey. But we are typically working with um, medium to large size enterprise retailers. And I'd spend a lot of time on the shop floor, if you like, uh, yeah. uh, of retail, uh, both online and uh, and in stores, working uh, with very large retailers who have got um, you know growing uh, e-commerce offerings. Mm. Uh, they all want to be international, but they all face the issue of, uh, okay, so we're now selling online, but what do we do about the returns? And yeah. I can see this problem growing and growing over time. Uh, so that, that kind of inspired me to, to start the company in the first place. I could see the uh, the gap in the market. Mm. There wasn't really a credible solution at the time on the market that was able to answer the, the needs of the retailer. Mm. And so I think it gave us an opportunity to be a first mover and yes. an early mover in that, that space. The space is definitely more crowded now and that there are uh, more competitors, but we were very early. And uh, we we launched a product that was more advanced than anything else on the market. So we didn't actually go to market immediately. We spent a year or more building the, the platform uh, before we even launched it with any any clients. And um, I think the 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 milestone for us, the turning point, was um, getting our first couple of retailers to uh, to sign up. Uh, so we had some smaller SMEs, some four sellers. Yeah. Uh, but then the, the largest enterprise retailer that we landed in the early days was Arcadia, and that really helped us yeah. uh, to grow. We were very fortunate to to work with some people at Arcadia who yeah. believed in what we were building, and they were really, really, you know, exp- happy to experiment and, and and let us try to improve their return solution. And uh, we've been working with them ever since uh, until unfortunately they folded at the end of last year. I guess um, you say you know you were you were lucky and fortunate, but you actually were providing a vehicle for them to do the global expansion of probably what they were were looking to do. So they were probably actually also lucky to be working with you based on what they were they were trying to do. So you spent obviously a good twelve months then bringing the product. So you weren't too tempted to go out straight away and start talking to. Uh, people about the the product and and get some early people looking at it what was your reasoning behind that and because I, I speak to a lot of founders who are quite keen to just go out there and start trying to get somebody to um to buy in I think you have to be ready um so we we had a a product that you know we're trying to build a global return solution and you can't really do that unless you can cover the globe uh, or at least the the core markets that you want to begin trading in. Uh, so we're we're multi carrier, we're multi warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need a, a range of services like pickup and drop off. Uh, we need free returns. We need paid returns. So mm-hmm. there's all sorts of elements of the software that the the customer is demanding. And, yeah. and we were also faced with at the same time retailers not having any data about why their products are coming back. Uh, so they they want to know what's causing these returns and how they can prevent them in the future. Yeah. Uh, but it was a you know temptation to go to market earlier uh, with a, a kind of half-baked product, but we yeah. we actually decided not to do that. And we we were able to 
get some patient investors that uh, backed us and gave us a, um, a chance to build a really, really comprehensive solution. By holding back on the half-baked option, do you think that helped you with some of those bigger clients you picked up earlier on? Because if you've gone half-baked, sometimes when you, you don't get a second chance to knock, do you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it's, it's uh, uh, well, you say that, but but actually uh, I think um, we also know it's a long sales cycle in, yeah. in, the, in the market that we're in. So sometimes you have to knock several times. Yeah. I think what we did find is that Returns are a really difficult problem for retailers, and they want to talk to you. Doors always open if you if they think you can help them. Yeah, and it, it wasn't really a case of anybody saying no, they didn't want to work with us. It was more a case of it's not on their roadmap right now, but they'd like yeah. to do it in the next sort of year, eighteen months. Yeah, and, and so I think we were very early to market in those days as well. You know, right now returns are you know part and parcel of doing. Oh, but it's just, it's just it's just the way you go. My my wife will order every single colour yeah. and choose the one that looks best. Yeah, exactly right. So the bedroom is a new fitting room. So we've got yeah. consumers yeah. buying multiple sizes, multiple colours. You've also got um, younger buyers who are more likely to return than than older shoppers yeah. as well. Got your uh, wardrobes that, that try products on. You've got also got your serial returners that are sometimes your best customers yeah. um, they're, they're the most loyal customers but they expect it as part of the service but five years ago the the market was a bit different and they were all using uh either an address uh and, and you have to do it yourself yeah. uh, or a label in the box uh, was about as advanced as it went yeah and, and the label in the box doesn't really give a retailer any visibility about why products are going yeah. back or where they are yeah. so we set out to try and change that we built a an MVP. Originally, we were crowdfunded. Um, yeah. Speak to some of the uh, the earlier investors in the uh, in the space that, that weren't quite ready to uh, to back us uh, on the uh, solution at that time. Who later on became our customers. Yeah. Uh, so you know, kind of went full circle, and, and yeah. we we had some very good uh, investments from a family office and from some high net worths that. That helped us along the way and helped us grow the business. Nice. So I don't know if you remember exactly, but roughly how old was the business when you had your first contract signed paying customer? So uh, I think we, we, we spent about a year testing uh, with, with some, I guess you'd call them pilot customers that, that were like a reduced yeah. rate card. Um, yeah. But the, the first enterprise retailers went live in 2017 uh, so that, that was um about 18 months into the the life of the business from after we sort of first raised funds and um sounds like a long time to go without any uh significant revenue but it was the right decision for us we, we were building some really good quality software i totally agree with that and but you also the the where people kind of sort of like misunderstand also is that you need to understand what your buyer cycle is. And if you identified it early that it was a long cycle, then it was never going to be quick. You know, they get some people where, you know, you can have a short um, anywhere between 30 and 90 day turnaround, but it's a different type of product. So I think it's known what you're offering, but I think too many people get caught up and thinking I've got to get revenue through the door and thinking other people have been able to do it much, much quicker, different type of product, different type of 
uh, sales process. And the one thing, you know, you cannot do is get around a sales process. And, you know, particularly, you know, in some words where you're, you are selling to big corporates, it's not easy. Even once they've agreed to, uh, to buy your product, there's so much red tape to get through. It's not like the next day it's up and, and, and going and can be recognized as, um, as revenue. So when that first um, deal was done, must have felt really satisfying. Was it high fives around the office? We've made it, we've done it, rock and roll, or was it, oh my God, we've got to find the next one? Um, actually, uh, it was great news that we signed them, but, but then we had to onboard them. And obviously yeah. um, that, that's a challenge uh, for, a, for a large enterprise retailer to... Yeah. Um, you know, made time in their IT roadmap. We actually had a touch of uh, luck with the uh, the first onboarding. We didn't know that the customer had even gone live until until they they'd already launched because they launched two weeks early without telling us. Oh. Um, so uh, we only found out about the orders coming in uh, when you know they started coming in on the day. Yeah. Uh, luckily, everything worked. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very proud of the uh, the platform and, and you know. But it was a bit of a surprise at the same time. Um, you know, that's just testament to the 18 months that you put into getting the um, system right and, um, and and knowing that you were going to market with a um, with a with a pretty solid product. So you you do the the um, the first sale. I guess you immediately start thinking about right the next sale. And and at what point did you start thinking about a sales team? Had you already hired other salespeople at this point, or was it just yourself? Uh, no, it was just me um, for, for quite a while, actually. Um, and we we didn't really expand the sales team out until probably uh, midway into the second year of the, of the after the product had gone live. Um, so we, one of my um, other directors would come to meetings and, and he would uh, be selling the platform as well. But, but we didn't actually hire a sales team as such until probably about 2018, in fact. And, and that was really a you know a conscious decision because we were faced with a lot of demand for the product and um, yeah. I was uh, flying all over the world uh, trying to build the solution out as well as trying to sell the solution. So what triggered you deciding, right, actually, um, I need some support here? Uh, it was just demand. I mean, so much demand for the product, um, yeah. right business at the right time, I think. And um, we ended up, talking to various different people in the market who who I knew I've got quite, quite a good network of, of yeah. people and um, was able to lean on you know previous relationships with uh, sales team uh, members that I'd worked with who'd actually sold to me in the past so that was a good sort of working relationship that I really had with people we ended up hiring excellent so it's quite a, a unique position to be in most people will hire salespeople to drum up business. Mm-hmm. You had the opposite uh, problem. You had a lot of demand coming to you. Had Was that because you were well-known in the marketplace and what you were trying to do? Did you have a fantastic marketing team in the background that was putting stuff out there? Uh, we didn't really have any marketing team to speak of at that time. Um, so it was a lean team. Um, but what we had was a really good product and, yeah. and word was spreading fast. So yeah. we uh, we did a lot of word of mouth referrals. We did some conferences and, and yeah. speaking at events um, back when we were allowed to do that. Yeah. And um, and I think we, we also um, got quite a bit of industry recognition for what we were building because there wasn't a great deal on the market that solved this problem for retailers. So 
we we were able to get in front of retailers very quickly. Yeah, it, over the last uh, twelve months, I've held a number of roundtables for chief revenue officers who've who've been in around the startups and the growth worlds, and there's a lot of people talking and looking for you know filling the top of the funnel. Um, and making sure it's 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 always up, particularly in you know in, in difficult times we are now. And there's some really good CROs in there who constantly talk about your client is your biggest lead generator. If you can generate, if you can demonstrate the ROI that they're getting, they are the ones who should be telling. They'll know people in competition and and such like to them. And they should be going. Look, guys, you should be using um, these products. And obviously, it's testament to see how it's how it's working there for you. So, when you decided you wanted to hire, did you take you? Did you automatically just go straight to the mindset of people that you knew, or did you sit down and think about the profile of the type of person? Because again, it's a different type of salesperson if you are managing a demand that's coming through against somebody who's going to be hitting up the phones or trying to just generate some business. Yeah, well, I did go to my own network first simply yeah. because um, it was a, a quick route to market and I knew somebody that would be um, a good fit for the, for the bill. You're, you're absolutely right. I think the, um, the word of mouth speaks volumes from an existing client. We were able to demonstrate good value uh, to, the, uh, to the clients we had mm-hmm. and we tended to find that when people on the other side of the fence of people that we were working with left positions at one company and went to another they took us with them yeah. and uh, we very much you know I've, I've got a few uh, good e-commerce directors to thank for some of our growth as well yeah um so when you went to your own network did you run a natural hiring process or was it you know what i know bob over there i'm just going to offer him the job uh it was the latter uh, but we you know we've since gone through recruiters and we've gone through uh, our own processes as, as the business has expanded, but yeah. initially it was um, go, go to people that we know and trust. Yeah, and and once you brought those um, those people on, and I think they are one of the best people to have in the early days. If you've got that, um, not not every founder has got the luxury of of knowing that, but if you do, I think it is good to have um, keep the nearest and dearest close to you. Um, how did you and it becomes a challenge also on this when you when you know people when they come into the business but was there any particular metrics or outcomes that you were expecting these people or this person to do when they arrived uh, i think for me i'm looking for people that are presentable that they're looking you know they've got some industry knowledge uh, they're hungry um, yeah. and they need to be respected by the people that they uh, engaging with so yeah you know i'm, I'm not uh not not one for smarmy uh, sales guys you know i'd r- much rather have a consultative person yeah. that that knows the industry do you know how you were kind of measuring their success of or whether they do were you looking at the number of sales or uh anything well, like that in the beginning yeah i mean it, it, it often comes down to numbers but but it's also engagement you yeah. know are, are we um are we opening doors that we couldn't have opened before? Are we able to uh, to close more quickly? Is the, uh, the the level of any kind of objection being handled well? And really, really does the does the client form a good relationship with with us yeah. as a business? And um, 
when did you decide to go from that hire to the next one? And you mentioned you then engaged with some recruiters. How did you find that? Did it prove to be successful? I, the people that you hired stayed and were successful. Yeah, um, I think it was a, just a natural progression as we were growing and we wanted to go into new markets. We we took on uh, new salespeople and not everybody works out, uh, unfortunately, but but um, we've, we found a good sort of nucleus uh, to grow the team from. And, you know, we, we're still a small team. We, we, we punch well above our weight in terms of the brands that we've signed versus the, the number of people in the sales team. Uh, but, but for us, the sales team has to be able to react to the client and, and work at the client's speed. So sometimes that's really quick and, and the client wants to get on board immediately and um, we need to be able to manage that and, and help uh, facilitate that. Yeah. And sometimes the, the client quite honestly wants to take months and um, we have to be patient and we have to work with them and to their time frames really. How long did it take you to really work out what your repeatable sales process was that you knew it was robust and fit for purpose? I think we, we worked very hard on getting our onboarding time down. Yeah. Uh, we were picking up a lot of business from a competitor yeah. that was doing a poor job of uh, onboarding their customers. Absolutely. And they weren't doing a good job of servicing their customers either. So they were winning customers, uh, maybe because they had a, a cheaper product sometimes. But but we actually found that we have a better product and, and we have a better service and a faster onboarding. And, and I think uh, quite often we were going up against uh, a competitor that wasn't really able to service the business they were winning. Mm. And so, so you mentioned um, that you don't have a huge sales team. Was it, is it four people plus yourself? Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, we'll, we will expand more this year into new markets. So we've been acquired this year by a, uh, a large company called Global Blue, and, and they're in... 50 countries around the world and they will give us access to new markets and yeah. help us to expand into uh, other product sectors. And did you ever feel pressure um, from investors to build out the sales team to try and get more? I think our investors were, were quite patient and quite you know, frugal. Um, yeah. you know, we, we, uh, we wanted to grow carefully rather yeah. it wasn't a kind of uh, let's go out and hire 50 people and and hope for the best yeah it's yeah. pretty much a, a, a carefully scaled growth yeah and um we've got a a product that, that's quite honestly it's it's more than one demo for, for a yeah. product to to uh sell to, to some customers because i think for an sme they they we service the market and we can plug them in and get them live very quickly and that's fine. But for an enterprise retailer, you're, you've got multiple touch points within the business. So you're talking frequently to an e-commerce director, you're talking to a logistics director, sometimes there's a customer service director involved. Invariably, it will touch IT yeah. and it has to go through finance and then finally legal. Yeah. So you've got six or seven touch points before you've even got down to the contract. Yeah. And now you've got that sales team in place, how much time do you still give to sales and customers along with obviously the rest of the business? 
me personally, I'm, I'm on demos every day. I think it's really important as a founder and as a CEO yeah. to be close to the product and to be close to the customer. I want to hear what our customers are saying. Yeah. I want to hear what they want us to build. And I get a lot of really valuable insight from speaking to not only existing clients, but potentially new clients as well, uh, to be able to keep evolving that product and making sure that we're building something that is cutting edge. We've been fortunate enough to to win awards every year for the last six years for innovation. And I think that's testament to the product we're building and the team around us that, that are building the software. So we are very, very uh, receptive to our customers' views and they're quite often bringing us new ideas and bringing us new uh, ways of wanting to work. Um, you know, be it they want paperless returns or they want collection from home during COVID or, yeah. uh, you know, they want data insights on this or that. And so being able to gather that feedback through one-on-one meetings that I have every day with our clients is really useful for us. I, I totally um, agree with that. I think a founder's always got to find time to be involved with the uh, with the sales process and listen to it how valuable um do you think it was that you've got a co-founder in there with you which has probably enabled you to spend more time on the demos and the and, and the sales side of things yeah it was very useful my, my co-founder and i didn't always uh, live in the same country so yeah. uh lawrence uh for some of the uh, duration of zigzag was living abroad uh, but his e-commerce experience is second to none. Um, we've known each other a good 10 years or so and um, worked very well together and could bounce ideas off each other. We also know some of the, the same people in the industry. We know many of the same clients. So it's very useful having a co-founder, but, but also other directors in the business who are well-connected. Yeah. Um, so hindsight's a wonderful thing. It sounds like you... Um, had a very considered sales approach but what you had was a product in demand that was fit for purpose which is a an absolutely great place to be but if you could go back again and you rewind the clock back to when you were thinking about hiring that first person is there anything that you would do differently um, or would advise to other founders who are thinking about that first person and then how you grew it to the, t- the team that you that, that, that you got to? I think documentation is really important to make sure that you can uh, repeat the yeah. process to actually understand the process. And, and, and actually, if you, if you write the process down and sketch it out, it's probably not the same as it is in your head yes. uh, when, you, when you get it on paper. So in your head, it makes sense immediately. You know what you're doing. But when you're actually trying to explain that to somebody else that's new to the business, you need to, to document that process and onboard them slowly and carefully and really make sure they understand your product well, make sure that they understand your customer well and make sure that they're, they're a good listener in, in terms of being able to uh, understand what it is the customer actually wants. We've been uh, quite fortunate in that um, I've brought a lot of people with me that I've worked before. Yeah. Um, so not just in the sales team, but, but across the company. So I've got a good network of people that have been in e-commerce a long time. And I guess we know what our customers want, yeah. but we're never too old to learn. I mean, we, we, yeah. we write down new ideas every day. Every single um, idea we, we hear from our mm-hmm. customers goes into our kind of wish list. And if we hear it enough times, then it gets built. So 
that that's really important for us to make sure that the product's evolving. Interesting. And um, around the onboarding and the ramp up time of of new people, is that having that documentation process, did that enable, as you got on, you managed to get the, the ramp up time quicker? And, and I know it's not going to be ramp up time to get to deals quicker because of the deal cycle that you have, but to actually know that they're okay to go out and talk to somebody and actually book a meeting and be able to have competent conversations about your product. Yeah, I think Zoom's been brilliant for that, for us to be able to and, and need to communicate with the customers um, over video. Obviously, we save time traveling, uh, but we've also been able to bring other colleagues into the meeting, sometimes even on an ad hoc basis. So, you know, you need an answer very quickly. And in the old days, when uh, that person's not in the meeting, then you have to go away and find out. But with Zoom, you can just patch them in and get them to join the call. And, and you know, that's really useful to be able to troubleshoot and answer questions but back to your question about um documenting and onboarding we found a you know very um useful solution just to be able to you know record some of our uh meetings with our clients permission that help our new staff because last year we, we grew the team from 35 people to 75 people so it was really important to be able to onboard a large team quickly uh, that is a phenomenal uh, amount of growth particularly con- considering the conditions um, that we found ourselves in um looking back um now though do you ever think actually we could have gone into those new markets sooner and maybe have grown the team out a bit more or i think yes and no um so we've we've tended to be cautious but we haven't gone and opened up offices in new york or in uh, in Paris or anywhere else uh, at the moment because we wanted to really get our product ready for that and, and make sure that our, our our home market is looked after well enough and that we've built out the team carefully and gradually. So we've been really um, keen to hire from within the industry. We're hiring from, uh, from ex-retailers. Uh, We're hiring from ex-carriers. So it's people that have been in and around e-commerce for numbers of years and they need to really understand the process. So much as I'm a supporter of hiring sort of graduates, um, you, you can't hire your whole business full of graduates. You need to have some some grey matter there that, that's been around the block a few times. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is a tricky one, but you have to, as, as I always say, when you, particularly when you're in growth mode um, and it's a critical time, when you're making hires, you've got to think about the outcomes first and the timescales that you need those outcomes. And that builds the profile of the person that you're looking for. And you'll be able to understand as you do that and the people in the teams where there can be flexibility around it, but there'll be some roles where there just isn't flexibility around that. And it's, it's good to think like that. Um, well, look, you guys um, have come on a, um, an incredible journey and it's, it's great to have you on here um, talking about this, but this is still just the beginning, I'm sure. Um, yep. What's the uh, what's the next steps for uh, for, for yourself and um, and Zigzag? We're building out the sales team right now, um, so we're actually uh, going into new markets um, in Europe and uh, further afield as well, and we'll be actively looking to you know, re- recruit at the moment. So uh, certainly that, that's the, the next phase for us. We we want to build on what we have, the foundation that we've got, and just get bigger and better at what we do. Okay, and is there one bit? Um, I'm kind of putting you on the um, on the spot here, but is there one bit of advice you would give to a um, 
a founder who in a similar position to you um, in 2015 when you're just finished your first quarter um, as a as a seed funded business founder is there one thing that you would say to them that uh, with the experience that you've been through to help them out? Um, yeah, I think, I think speed to market is really important. Make, make sure, sure that you are building quality at the same time as speed, though. So yes. I think there's a really important balance there that you can't just rush the product. Uh, if, it's, if it's a software product, you can't just rush it and churn out anything else. Uh, so as much as speed to market is important and don't sacrifice the quality. You know, that's what I would advise other people to really pay attention to and listen to your customers. Um, yeah. You know, make, make sure that you're attending those meetings and that you're actually facing the customer yourself. Yeah. You know, you're getting that feedback firsthand. Perfect. Uh, I always enjoy the conversations uh, that, that we have. Um, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your uh, your knowledge and your experience of the, uh, the journey with the founders, hoping to uh, tread a very, very similar path. Great. Thank you very much, James. Please click subscribe, like, leave a comment and turn on your notifications. We really love you to be involved with the tech sales craft and being part of the growing community. Thank you for being part of our journey.